Bible reading today is taken from Hagar, chapter 2, verse 1 to 9. In the seventh month, on the 21st of the month, the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? How do you see it now? In comparison with it, is this not in your eyes as nothing? Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord, and work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. According to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains amongst you. Do not fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Once more I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land, and I will shake all nations, and they shall become, and they shall come to the desire of all nations. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. Here ends the reading today. Thank you. Well, good morning, and uh, uh, please join with me in praying and asking God to give us clarity and encouragement this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We come to you this morning as people in need of encouragement and clarity. Please would you encourage us and comfort us with your word this morning. Amen. Well, on Friday, uh, in the heat of the day, with mobile phone in hand, uh, recording for posterity, I stood with many other parents cheering at Simeon's school sports day. There was Simeon in a row of year three boys lined up at the far end of the school oval, each dressed in their house colours, waiting for the teacher to blow the whistle. And then at once they all spring to life cheered on by the support of friends and of parents. Uh, the kids who won were obviously faster, uh, but they were also single-minded in wanting to get to the finish line first. There were others, though, who, for different reasons, struggled and stumbled. My heart went out to the kid who stopped only metres before the finish line because his shoe came off. And it seemed like an eternity watching him sit down and slowly tie his shoelace as the rest of the kids ran past. In the sack race, about a third of the kids tripped over and fell. But in all the races, there were kids who seemed to spend more time 
looking around, comparing themselves with each other than they did trying to find the finish line. Now, it was just a school sports day. The kids had fun, and uh, as parents, uh, we went home grateful for the opportunity just to share this brief moment in the kids' uh, year and lives, irrespective of, of who won, who lost a shoe, and who fell over. But something happens as you get older. As you get older, it's easy to lose sight of the finish line. The goal, the reason perhaps of why we're running this race at all. And so perhaps after so many years, we even begin to doubt that we've got the strength to finish what we started. And so we get discouraged. We lose confidence and our enthusiasm and passion fades. I mean, this can happen for uh, any number of projects over the years. Uh, learning the guitar, cleaning out the garage, or hanging the paintings on the wall. Thank you, Kylie, for being so patient with me on that one. But we can also get discouraged with a stagnant career, difficult relationships, or struggling grades at school. We can get discouraged as the people of God in just in being a follower of Jesus. And even as a church, we can get discouraged. But whether it's fatigue, frustration, fear, or failure, discouragement and the loss of confidence can rob us of our focus and our passion we once had to run the race, to strive with all our might to the finish line. Today I want us to look at the Old Testament book of Haggai. It's a very short book, only two chapters long. It's a book where God gives us encouragement and equips us to persevere in the work of the Lord. That's its simple message. And this encouragement and enablement is critical to remember when the work of the building of the kingdom of God seems unimpressive. Perhaps when our shoe comes off. Perhaps even when we trip over, as it were. It's only two chapters long, uh, and Jenny read for us just the first part of chapter two. But throughout this book, four times we're told the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet. And all four messages come in the same year, 520 BC. Uh, That may not uh, immediately stand out to you as significant, but it's been 18 years since the Persian Empire uh, captured Babylon and allowed the captives to return home. And some of the exiled people of, uh, of Judah did. They returned home, and some of them started work on reconstructing the temple. But this building work has largely stalled for 18 years. The people say in chapter 1, now's just not the time. And so in chapter 1, the people receive a rebuke. You see, just like uh, home renovations and the trips to Bunnings, uh, that was seemed as essential work for them. They, they had to rebuild their own homes first, didn't they? But in the process, over that period of time, the temple of the Lord lay in rubble. At one level, you can understand why rebuilding the temple would have seemed like a low priority. Their city, their homes, even their agricultural land 
uh, had been devastated because of the ravages of war. Infrastructure being destroyed, buildings devastated. I imagine it takes years to recover from the effects of war. And the economic cost of rebuilding would be astronomical. But in chapter 1, the people receive a rebuke. You see, they seem to have the motivation, the energy, even the finances to build their uh, what's described as panelled houses. But the temple of the Lord remains neglected. What's important about the temple of the Lord is that it symbolised the presence and throne of God. Part of the great theological crises in the whole Babylonian exile was that perhaps Yahweh, the God of Israel, wasn't powerful enough. Perhaps he, perhaps he wasn't in control. Perhaps the Babylonian gods were bigger. And so to actually rebuild the temple, to, to return from Babylon, was, was profoundly significant, significant for their realisation and even their testimony to the nations that, that the Lord is God. He hasn't been defeated. And so rebuilding the temple was indicative of, of the people's hearts returning to the Lord and their belief that there is only one God who is Lord over heaven and earth who has saved them and restored them. So you, so you can see why rebuilding the temple is not just a, a, a cultural icon, but it's God's priority too. And in Haggai chapter 1, we find something actually quite surprising, something you don't find very often in the Old Testament. They hear this rebuke from the Lord, and how do they respond? They actually obey uh, normally, normally the, the, the prophet comes with the word of God to the people and they respond with hard hearts and uh, it's all quite tragic, really. But in chapter 1, they actually obey. They, they get to work in rebuilding the temple. And you think, wow, this is promising. Can't wait to see where this ends up. But actually, things stall again. Almost four weeks have passed since the command in chapter 1 to rebuild the temple. And then a new word comes from the Lord. And so in verse 3, Haggai asks the people for a progress report. He says, Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you? Doesn't it seem to you like nothing? Sometimes it's easy to get critical I think of those two grumpy old men from the Muppets who would sit up the back of the theatre up in the balcony and they would just heckle and, and, and just hurl criticisms at everything that happens. They would laugh at anyone who does something silly. Uh, it's easy to get critical about what's going on. But for the people of Haggai's day, uh, th there were people, presumably, who were old enough who remember the glory of the, of the temple before the Babylonian invasion. Uh, maybe um, 60 to 70 years earlier. This was Solomon's temple. It was magnificent. They had imported timber from Lebanon and it was overlaid with gold from floor to ceiling. Just the magnificence of it boggles the mind. But now that temple lies in ruins. Stonework cracked, broken and toppled, timber burned presumably, probably leaving carbon stains on whatever stonework was left. And the gold furnishings, well, they've been, they're long gone. So perhaps the people would have felt discouraged. They don't have the same financial resources that Solomon had. They didn't have the, the imported labour of the best, uh, the best tradies as well. 
Somehow it just seemed harder than before. And you've got to remember that actually in the three and a half weeks since they restarted building this temple again in these last few weeks, they've actually had a bunch of public holidays. It's actually one of the times of the year in the, in the uh, Israelite calendar where there's a whole bunch of festivals but like, you know, trying to get tradies over Christmas and New Year, like every, everything just shuts down. You just can't get anything done. Um, and Easter is a bit like that too sometimes if, if Anzac Day appears uh, in close proximity to it as well. And that's what it was like. This, it was, that's the time of the year that we're in. Construction work, it's always going to be slow during this period. The early rains are coming uh, as well. But they are exhorted to rebuild the temple. Now, for us reading passages like this, we think, okay, there's a clear command there. They need to get to work in rebuilding the temple. So what do I do? Uh, This is not an exhortation for us to get to work on building a church building. This is not the passage uh, that I would go to uh, to substantiate that. The Lord doesn't expect us to travel to Israel to rebuild the temple. Now, instead, when you turn to the New Testament, you see as this theme unfolds and develops throughout the Bible, uh, the building work that the people of God are to be on about is not a, a physical structure. It's not on this mountain or that mountain. No, it's actually the people of God. We as the church, the people of God, are God's temple. This is how God dwells among his people now by his spirit. Like a master builder, the Apostle Paul says that He laid a foundation by planting churches, but others like Apollos, you see, he watered it. He he helped it to grow. He says in 1 Corinthians 3, we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Though sometimes I wonder that if God had commanded us to take on a construction project like this, whether in some ways that might have been a little easier. Because... Investing in people is much harder. It feels like you're making progress takes so much longer. Sometimes you take two steps forward only to take one step back. Whether it's inviting a next door neighbour to consider the person of Jesus only to be rejected again, caring for or or lifting up a friend who's struggling with persistent sin. Even upholding God's ethics, God's good design for men and women or the dignity of human life can be hard in our society. See, I think one reason we can get discouraged in the task of building up the people of God is that we can feel like progress is so slow. Are we actually making any progress at all? I think a second reason we can get discouraged not just looking at the task, but we even look at ourselves and we think, oh, I feel so inadequate, so inadequate for the task. What if I, what if I don't know how to answer someone's questions or, or their objections? I've never asked someone to read the Bible with me. Surely someone else should be doing that. I know how to chair meetings at work, but don't ask me to lead a Bible study group. We can get discouraged even with our own feelings of inadequacy. 
Some of us have been Christians for many years. And the challenge over time is that our enthusiasm and boldness for serving Christ begins to wane. Those, those exciting opportunities, the sacrificial boldness that we once had, that we once prayed fervently about, well, it's sometimes like the hair on our head. It's just a distant memory for some of us. The challenge of life, the feeling of personal inadequacy have all but evaporated. And like the Apostle Peter, we've taken our eyes off Jesus and we've become fixated with the waves that are lapping at our feet. It might be that you're not yet Christian, that you've been putting off that crucial step of, of entrusting your life to Jesus, where to be convinced that you need to do business with God, but you're waiting for something else, saying maybe now's not yet the time. Friends, our passage this morning from Haggai 2 gives us a command to be strong and two words of encouragement. The first word in verse 4 is to be strong. The word comes to Zerubbabel, he's the governor, to Joshua, he's the high priest, and in fact to all the people, be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Uh, this is a word not just to a select few, but to everyone. Be strong, persevere in the work of the Lord. Now, at this point, I mean, we haven't made much uh, progress, but we do need to pause because although this is, comes across as a very clear command, be strong, if that's all God says to his people, it can actually be quite unhelpful and indeed profoundly unloving. Let me explain. See, the problem with having a religion that's only about morals, uh, and a religion which says, just try harder, then either we're going to be filled with despair because of lack of progress, or conversely, with, where we're actually going to be puffed up with pride, thinking, oh, I actually think I'm doing, doing quite well. Either way... It's unhelpful and unloving. We know how frustrating it is in the workplace or at uni to be told to be given a task to do but without any kind of the resources to get the job done. A doctor doesn't say to their patient, just get better without prescribing medicine or a referral to someone else. A lifesaver doesn't say to the person drowning, just swim harder. Instead, they pick them up and pull them in. And that's why in these verses in Haggai 2, we, we have not simply a command to be strong, but we have two words of encouragement. The first is not to lose sight of the glorious finish line. Firstly, God wants, us, uh, wants his people to have a clear picture of the finish line because this is exactly what God is working toward. Let me read again from verse 6. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while... I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come. And I will fill this house, that's the temple, with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Things may look small and insignificant at the moment. It's nothing compared with the temple that Solomon built. 
but don't lose sight of the finish line. We shouldn't be discouraged by the overwhelm or overwhelmed by the struggles that we have, either in our denomination at the moment or with recent legislation that seems to keep pulling our society further and further away from the ethics uh, of a loving God. It's really important to keep sight of the finish line and to see where we are going. The Lord gave John a vision of the new creation, and he described it this way in Revelation 21. John writes, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. That is a glorious future that God is working towards. Reminding ourselves of this finish line, I think, helps us not to get discouraged. It's one thing when you only need to run 100 metres, you can see the finish line. But what, excuse the running analogy, what if you're running a marathon? And you've got corner after corner and you've got hills and you just can't see where you're going. What you need is those distance markers to know that you're heading in the right direction. You're making progress. Keep your eyes fixed on the finish line. And lastly, God gives us not simply a command to be strong or encouragement to the glorious end, but he enables us by his presence. And that's what's at the heart, I think, of our short passage today. It's in the middle there. Let me read again from verse 4. The word comes, Now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. And this is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. It's what every parent says to their kids when they are struggling, when they are in pain. I am with you. I'm here. It's okay. He's saying to the people of Israel, think back to when you were in Egypt. There you had nothing. You had sold everything by that stage just to, uh, and, and become slaves just to survive. You were despised nobodies in the eyes of the world. But what happened? I brought you out. At that time, you had no resources. You had no influence. However, did you ever hope to escape the Egyptian army? How did you think that you were going to cross the Red Sea, enter the promised land where the people in the land there seemed as giants to you? I will be with you, he said to Moses. I will be with you, he said to Joshua. And all this is made possible, not by our strength, not because Israel were, were bigger or more deserving than any other nation, but because of the one who says, I am with you. You see, the Lord is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. He is the one who calms the wind and the waves, who raises the dead, who makes the deaf hear, the mute to speak. This is the same Lord who says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them 
in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Oh, this is the greatest encouragement of all. Ron and I were just talking before. Oh, this is the most this is the greatest encouragement there is. I am with you. And he will bring about his glorious end. The promise that he is with us and he will he is working his purposes out. There's no need to be discouraged, to be cautious even, to to dwell on our own inadequacies. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And so the Apostle Paul concludes his, his, his long chapter on the resurrection by saying, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labour is not in vain. Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a tiny mustard seed. But when it grows up, it becomes larger than all the garden plants puts out these large branches so that even the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. If we were to read on in Haggai chapter 2, there it raises questions about how an imperfect people can actually be about the work of the Lord without corrupting it. But that's for another day. Today, don't be discouraged, but persevere in the work of the Lord as he works to bring a glorious end to all things, enabled and equipped by his very presence. Let me pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, we do confess that we are easily discouraged and there are many things which cause us to take our eyes off the glorious future that you are working toward. But thank you for the promise, the encouragement of your spirit your work in us and through us. We long for that day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. To that end, Father, we do pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen.